Hello, welcome to this podcast about Mad Men. We're going to talk about the first episode of Season 5. My name is Brian. My name is Seth. And I'm Jesse. All right, so this is sort of our pilot episode for this podcast. Why don't we start out with a little background on our history with Mad Men? I honestly don't remember. It's been since it's been so many seasons now. I don't know if I started watching when it first premiered or if I caught up via Netflix or not. I don't remember, but I have been watching for season to season. I haven't done one of those things where you catch up all at once. I have been watching and have been caught up almost the whole time. So that's my experience. I actually uh, saw Mad Men before it was shown. I was sent a uh, two episodes, the first two episodes of season one by AMC, who wanted me to write a story, not about the episodes, not reviewing the episodes, but writing about the fact that AMC was embarking on original programming, the strategy, why they were doing that, why they thought they could succeed. So I remember putting the two episodes into my uh, player and thinking, oh my God, this is you know their first foray into original programming. This is really going to be awful. And of course, I turned it on and you know within several minutes, I was glued to it. So that was my first exposure to Mad Men. And yes, I've been following it ever since, you know, season to season. So I'm similar to both of you. I cannot remember what critic I read that this was coming on and the premise, but I was there at the beginning as well, watching it in the first season and had similar thoughts of, really, American Movie Classics, the AMC channel, they're going to do original programming, but it did have a good pedigree, and uh, so you're going, okay, I'll give it a shot, and I've enjoyed the ride a lot. Every season, and we have a discussion ongoing with my wife and I, you know, she's one of those, nothing happened, and I mm. said, it doesn't matter if nothing happens, it's just fun to watch the ride. So uh, that kind of gives you my, how I watch the show. All right, well, let's just talk about this first episode then, where it is a two-hour, quote, episode, although it is technically two episodes. They, right. they list it as episode 501 and 502. Right. Is that just, I guess, because they need to fulfill their order of the number of Yes. Uh, episodes per season, I suppose. Right. Yeah, 13. Right. There's some, quote, double episodes that have entirely different writers and different directors, but this had one writer, right. Right. one director. So right. it was sort of like one singular piece. Right. The thing coming into this season was there's several questions that had to be answered. Mm-hmm. I think the two principal of which were, did Don really marry Megan and did Joan have her baby? Right. And they kind of teased us a little while to, before they actually got to those answers, which I kind of enjoyed. And they all wrapped it up within this bookends of civil rights at the beginning and end. And in the middle was this house party. Right. So just overall, what were your thoughts about some of these topics and revelations that they came up with? Well, it's funny, Brian, because the Paley Center out in Los Angeles just had a big day or evening, I think it was, uh, where they saluted Mad Men and they had all bunch of members from the cast. And uh, while I wasn't there, one of my former colleagues was, and he said that John Hamm hinted that Don Draper and Megan are not actually married. Uh, They did get engaged, but they're not actually married. Now, John Hamm is a great kidder. He loves to joke around. So he might have been purposely throwing us off. But everything I've read and seen, and certainly people in the show were mentioning that they were married. Peggy at one point says, oh, to Megan, oh, I forgot to get you a a wedding gift. So I think the wedding happened, but um, 
But yeah, okay, so they're married, and they seem to be happy. Don Draper's trying to be a, a better person than he was. He, at least he's being honest with his new wife. He tells her that uh, there is such a person as Dick Whitman, whereas his old wife, Betty, didn't know that until years into their marriage, and he didn't tell her. I mean, she found it out, obviously. She uh, she rifled through his desk and found it out. You know, that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, and they didn't stay married after that. So he's trying to be a better person. He says during this episode, I don't care about work. He doesn't seem to be working very hard. He's not the hardline guy. Uh, we saw that bean ballet that Peggy did, and Don came in and didn't really support her. He sort of went with the client. Client didn't really like it. Don's response was, well, you know, it's a process. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get it. You know, we'll get, we'll get a good campaign for you. Whereas Peggy was pretty upset with him. She thought he was going to back her, and he did not. So obviously he's changed, but it seems to me, and I'll stop here, it seems to me that uh, having his wife work in the office with him is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, uh, Seth, you've given us a lot of things to talk about. I, I think I'll go with overall. My general impressions were I was very happy to have the show back and enjoyed the two hours. I love the discussion after the uh, Heinz people leave, you know, and Peggy's in the bullpen. You know, it's not really a break room. It's kind of the open office, you know, and they're all sitting there. And she goes, listening to the clients? I don't know that man. You know, he's happy? Yeah. Like, you know, what what is going on? I agree with you totally. The idea of working with your spouse can be difficult today. I mean, in modern times, that is something that you need to be careful with. I can only imagine in the middle 60s with the different mindset of what people are, you know, how this is going to work out. And I, I love that scene where they're working and Don's ready to go home and he goes, do you need her? Yeah. And I'm looking like, what is Peggy going to say? Right. Yes, we need her, Don. Right. You should either go back to your office or we'll send her home later. You know, so of course she goes, nah, we're fine. Right. So uh, a very interesting dynamic. And I hope you're going to mention Harry Crane's uh, mishap there with, with Megan. That was the best. That was the best. But I was going to say, you know, you talked about the dynamics, and it's funny because, you know, Roger married his secretary, basically. Right. And that process was that, you know, well, she's married to him now, not working here anymore. She didn't have, did not have aspirations, I guess, like Megan did. But this is like new territory. I don't know if it's a statement for like, you know, the 60s or opening up all kinds of new opportunities. And there's new things that are happening with the different minorities and things like that. But uh, Megan doesn't want to just live at home and go shopping. She wants to actually try her hand at this. And she said as much even before they started, quote, dating. The thing I would say about her is that, you know, she... I think Peggy looks at her and says, okay, well, this is nice try. This isn't bad. But the funny thing about the very end of the episode is when she seduced Don, she she knows how to advertise, basically. She, <laughs> she, knew, she yeah. knew what the client ultimately wanted, and she she sold it. And oh, yeah. So, I don't know. If she can translate that into actual uh, copy, then uh, <laughs> she'll be good to go. So That's great. What's really interesting, too is we talked about the change of Don, but Roger is still fun and still a smart ass and, you know, saying the great statements, you know, 
Is it just oh, me, absolutely. or is our uh, lobby filled with Negroes? <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Roger is still very unhappy with marriage. He's and not happy with this new wife. Well, she's not so new anymore, but she's right. young and she's pretty, like Don's wife. But he's clearly he's not happy. And that is exactly the point I was going to make, Seth, is it appeared last season he and Jane had found a happiness. They had seemed right. a good marriage. But it is now he has the same relationship with her as he does with his previous wife. Right. It, it, they, yeah. you know, it just they seem to be unhappy. Which, by the way, one of the best pieces of dialogue. Period is why don't you sing to me like that? Why don't you look like that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. When he's watching, when they're watching uh, Megan do that French uh, song, which was yes. was quite captivating. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to say the. Jane Roger relationship when that first occurred, I really enjoyed that because I, I thought that they did a good job with the chemistry. And even at the time, I was watching that. I think on disc. I wasn't watching it live. I think I was watching the uh, via Netflix or something. And I was watching. I'd rather listening to the commentaries later with uh, the directors and writers and whatnot. And they were. I remember a specific scene where they had Roger and Jane, and they were in bed, and they were commenting. The producers were. That you know they had really good chemistry and they just could see that they really loved each other. The characters did, and it was and I was like I, I believed it. So it was just kind of surprising the next season or the latter part of the next season when suddenly they just have a, this falling out. And and I guess this happens sometimes in some shows where the producers or writers decide, well, let's take this a different way and whatever. But I kind of just think that ultimately it's just because Roger loves Joan, and that's just what it is. And well, obviously now we know. Uh, they have a child, so he probably is reminded of that all the time. Oh, yeah. And speaking of people who have a child together, I noticed that when Pete and Peggy were pushing around Jones, or Peggy was pushing around Jones' child in the uh, carriage, Pete came in and, and saw her and was very concerned. Very concerned <laughs> because, obviously, <laughs> he thought maybe it's his child, but uh, fortunately yes. for him, it wasn't. Yeah. That's but a beautifully staged shot, yeah. Yeah, it was yes. very, very well done. I'm going to make the argument that maybe the reason why Roger and Jane's marriage has gone to the same path is that Roger has not made any effort to change. Roger, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, he inherited. His father was the founder of this company. He's lived off his father's coattails and lucky strike most of his life. He's always had money and he's not changed. While it appears Don is trying to change. He has been honest with Megan. He's told her her background. And she is comfortable enough. He's been honest enough that they're actually joking about it. When she's in bed trying to cheer him up after he's, you know, kind of pissed about the party. So maybe that's the message they're trying to tell us is if, you know, unless we change, we're doomed to repeat our same mistakes. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I would also say that Roger and Don are, are very similar in the sense that they both, uh, they obviously both like young women and, and sex and playing around and drinking. And also remember last season when in the last episode of last season, uh, I think it was called Tomorrowland, Dr. Faye Miller mm -hmm. makes the point that Don only likes the beginnings of things. Mm -hmm and he's doomed to be unhappy eventually. And I think Roger's the same way. Roger liked the beginning. He liked Jane. He liked her. He liked the sex, obviously. 
And eventually, he found out that Jane doesn't have much to offer besides her looks, and he's bored with her. He's bored with her. Hopefully, that won't happen with Don and Megan, because I think Megan has more to offer, but will Don accept that? I don't know. I mean, he certainly has been sort of progressive in his acceptance of somebody like Peggy, who, who he obviously sees has more than is more than just a, a woman. He, you know, he sees her as more than a woman. He sees her as a colleague and a talented one. But uh, most men in those days didn't really look at women that way. So I have a question, and I'd like y'all's opinion. My wife and I think that Peggy likes Megan, that they certainly are not friends, but it appeared they had a pleasant working relationship. So what are your feelings on that? I think it's just awkward for her because Peggy was Don's secretary. Megan was Don's secretary. One ended up marrying him and has a job in the company now, and one ended up moving up the ranks, but is still... And there's always been like this odd sort of mentoring, also very platonic relationship with Don and Peggy, and I'm not sure yet. Peggy actually, in this episode, didn't seem like of all the characters who had like moved either physically into a, a new house or had moved up to a new position or done things, she kind of has seemed to stay the same from the okay. last season, and I'm, I'm waiting to see what they're going to do with her this season. You know, she complained that, you know, her ideas didn't get full merit, and she, you know, she's done that before, and she's with the same boyfriend as before, and uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with yeah, her Yeah, I, I, I think Peggy looks at Megan and says, oh, okay, that's what I have to look like to get a man like Don, who whom she obviously wants to get somebody like Don. So I think Megan is, is sort of the bar for Peggy. And then, you know, later in the show, we see Lane lusting after the picture of Dolores and that he finds in that wallet. And again, I think it's the theme of, oh, okay, you know, a woman can have all the brains and all the talent and be loyal like Lane's wife, although she's a little bit of a pain sometimes. But, oh, you know, once uh, a very pretty woman comes along, men's heads uh, turn, and they forget about lots of things, and they just think with their eyes. Let's talk about Lane a little bit. That was very yeah. seedy. Yep. Is there something more going on with the discussion of money? Is that a controlling thing with his wife, or is there a subplot we're going to see this season of financial issues? I don't know. I didn't really look at it that way. What I looked at was that sort of the overarching theme of Mad Men is things aren't what they appear to be. And first of all, they work in an advertising firm, which is makes its living making stuff up and making life seem different than it is. And these fellows, including Lane, who seems like a very proper British gentleman, isn't. He just yeah. isn't. He's got a roaming eye. And here he is again. He's he's longing for something that he apparently doesn't have with his wife. He doesn't have a sort of a sexual chemistry, apparently, with his wife. And, uh, you know, would he have gone further with Dolores had she allowed him to? Who knows? But, yeah, I think Lane is just emblematic of the fact that things are not what they appear to be. I didn't really take much with the money, but that's a good point that you make. I thought that was a good point, Jesse, about the money. And I, you mentioning it in that way does 
make me question because I did think, well, he keeps talking about the money and his wife is like, well, he told me not to write checks yet. And it sounded like they were just, they were broke or they didn't have enough money. And there was a nice sleight of hand with the whole wallet issue because you think, well, he found the wallet and wow, is he so desperate that he actually has to like take out a couple hundred bucks and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but actually, you know, he's actually, the thing he covets is actually the photo, not so much the money. So now you, you make me wonder now because I thought, well, maybe they're having financial trouble, but maybe. I think he wants freedom. And I think when his the last season, when his father came and basically ripped him a new one and, right. you know, yeah. bopped him on the head, I think it's possible he might just be saying, well, I'm going to just cord some of this in a separate account somewhere. And when I can, I'm going to just make my own life. And part of that is just that uh, he wants to find someone to share it with. I think also possibly it's possibly just a, a dig at big business and the way they handle money. For example, a lot of big companies don't pay their vendors as you and I would. I mean, you, you get a bill, you write a check, boom, you send it away. Right. They do their best to hold on to their money, keep it in an account, get interest off of it, and if it's due 90 days from now, they'll send it to you on the 88th or the 89th day, and that's what Lane's doing in his personal life. And you remember when he's talking to Joan, when Joan comes in and he's talking about, um, oh, well, if we do this business today, that means we're not going to get paid until Christmas. And then if we do the Christmas business, we won't get that paid until Easter. So I think Matt Weiner is just kind of poking fun at you know the financial guy, Lane, and that while it hurts him in his business not to be paid for 90 days, he's doing it in his personal life, too. He's not going to pay the kids uh, tuition until the fall. I do love the Joan and Lane conversation. That uh-huh. scene was just amazing. Just was. He was so kind to her and so generous. And he wasn't just saying that to make her feel better. I think he honestly respects her. So I just love seeing her back in the office and how much Lane made her feel better. Yeah. Yeah, but also how she needs that office. Boy, does she need that office. Yes. She is pretty miserable at home. Of course, you know, her husband's out of the picture. He's, I guess he's in Vietnam, right? Yes. Is he in or, Vietnam? Or, or he's training or something, but he hasn't been right. there for months. So she's kind of miserable. That dynamic between Joan and her mother is rather interesting. She is itching to get back to work. The character, frankly, needs to be at work because yeah, that's yeah. where her best interactions with yeah. other characters are. Sure, so sure. she can't really exist as a separate side plot like a Betty can, which we will come to in a second. Joan, the way she rubs certain people the wrong way, or in the case of Roger, the right way, yeah. it, it uh, she needs to be in the office. That's where a lot of the best lines come from, a lot of the best beats, a lot sure. of the best, you know, that sure. Now we can jump over to Betty, Betty. who is yep. completely absent, right? Other than just a off-camera reference to her right. and her husband. I mean, she had very little screen time as it was last season, and this obviously is partly due to the fact that number one, she was filming one of the X Men movies a couple right. years ago. Right. Um, she got pregnant. She's also yeah, right, right. The actress, the actress, not the Betty. actress. Correct. Yeah, January yeah, Jones. January yeah. Jones. And so they're obviously going to shoot around that a little bit. Right. Um, but it does have the same sort of issue, which is a character that doesn't work at this agency. They do have to work harder to make them fit into the story, especially now that Don is married to someone else and doesn't have to deal with 
her nagging him or, you know, threatening him or talking with the kids about him or things like that. So I'm yeah, curious but, to see how they bring him into this part of the story. Yeah, but they do have three kids to raise together. And I can't imagine Betty not being a big part of the fifth and, and sixth and seventh seasons. I right. really yeah. can't see that. One thing I did want to say about Betty, although she doesn't work, that's true. Part of her angst was the fact that she had gone to college. She went to, what, uh, Swarthmore. And she remembered, I think in the second or third season, she goes to Italy with Don and she speaks Italian quite well. Uh, she majored in anthropology. She's she's a smart woman, although quite immature, as we all know. Yeah. But she's miserable at home, too. I mean, she's that's part of her angst. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and I read a recent interview, they were interviewing Matt Weiner, and he said that no matter what she does, people find her unlikable, and no matter what Don does, they find him likable. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, I mean, she is to be pitied a little bit, but uh, she brings a lot of it on herself, and it's difficult. I am curious what they're going to do this season with her and how they're going to interact, and what kind of marriage her and Henry, right, mm-hmm. will have. Yeah, because it wasn't great toward the end of last season, that's for sure. It they was were, not at all. No, they were starting. it was starting to fray. Henry's mother at Thanksgiving, <laughs> yeah. very perceptive. I, I like in this series the older people. Bert Cooper, for example, mm-hmm. knows everything. Yes. He perceives everything. And Henry Francis's mother spent a little time with Betty Draper at Thanksgiving, and she picked it up right away. She said, those kids are scared stiff of her. She's not for you. This is not a woman for you. And, of course, she's also upset that Betty Draper is, is a divorced woman. But, yeah, she picked it up quite quickly that Betty was immature and uh, that she's a terror to her own children. Speaking yeah. of Bert, was this one of those things that they'll have to just explain later that Bert came back to the agency because didn't he like leave in a huff at some point yeah, during last did. season? Yeah, he did. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He, they didn't they didn't offer explanation. They just was yeah. like, oh, Bert's back, and he's sitting there waiting to start a meeting, and everyone's just like, ugh. And, well, yeah, he's totally irrelevant. And you know what? I, what struck me? We haven't talked about this. How Roger, while he's not irrelevant, but boy, he lets Pete say some nasty things to him. Yeah. That gives me the impression that Pete has moved up and that Roger has become more irrelevant than he was. You know, when push comes to shove with offices and everything else, Roger stands his ground. But, boy, he lets Pete say things to him that I wouldn't have thought he'd he'd allow. Yeah, and I guess Roger has no base of power except his equity in the agency. Yeah, Um, you know, Yeah, because as Pete's saying, you know, I'm the one bringing this in. Though I do not think, here's another example of, we should be cheering for Pete. Pete is right. He's the one bringing in the business. He is helping the agency grow. Roger lied about Lucky Strike. I mean, you know, uh, yep. and yet we're just thinking, oh, just shut up, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. He he's, well, because he's an objectionable guy. He's Yeah, he, he can be pretty smarmy. I mean, he did, yeah. like, father a child out of... Yeah, he has his moments, but what he's... I what I thought I saw in the Pete character here, though, in many ways, was the old Don Draper. He's got everything that Don had in the old days. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He lives out in the suburbs now. He takes the train into work, but you know what? He's not happy. 
He's not happy either. He's not he's not as happy with Trudy as he was once. He tells the guys on the train she's not herself. She'd never go out in a bathrobe before out of the house and now she does. Even his kitchen, even the kitchen in his house looks like the old Draper kitchen from Austin, New York. I thought the same thing. I was like, so, what that I think looks that's, like? That's, old, uh, that's mini Don Draper. Yes. Trudy really came in her own last season, or I guess the season before. Whenever she was bringing sandwiches, when they were going to do this new agency, yeah, it was last season. and right. she was supporting him, you're mm-hmm. just truly was. She wasn't this person at home screaming make me more money this was i am your partner i want to be there for you and i'm just saying hey pete you've got a pretty good thing there wise up and be a little happy i just wonder if a lot of what they're showing us is a lot of this seems to repeat itself like don went through this cycle of right right this woman and then he got unhappy and then pete's rising up the ladder and it's the same thing is happening to him and to borrow from another show that we did a podcast on all these things have happened before and all these things will happen again and for the battlestar galactica people out there yes i just wonder if that's just something they're just kind of just saying is like this stuff is inevitable with like with these type of people they're in a certain way their personalities are such that they're just going to always repeat that type yeah, of behavior. Or, or that wanting more and more and more, which is the, sort of the American dream, is ultimately not that fulfilling. Right. Because you want more and more and more, and once you got it, you want more. And, and it's just, you've got to have something else in your life. There's got to be something else in your life, intellectual stimulation, companionship, love, whatever, to balance all that out. Because, yeah, you can get more and more and more, but it's, it's ultimately empty. If you don't have relationships and things like that. And I think partly that's what they're showing there, too. Well, one of the things I like to look at when I'm watching these episodes is just the visual beats that they mm-hmm. use to strike certain points home. Or you kind of wonder sometimes what they're saying, or they're there for a reason because they do show up. And on this one, right from one of the opening shots, when um, Sally goes into the bedroom and you see Megan lying mostly mm-hmm. naked in the bed, and mm-hmm. you see just the curve of the sheets down, and you see her butt's showing a little. And then within a few minutes, there's a smash cut to a baby's butt right there. And I thought that it had to be completely intentional that they shot that. It was, they could have easily shown Megan in bed without showing that part of her anatomy. And it seemed like that was there as uh, intentional. And then the other part was, which was to take it a third hop over when Joan was like putting on that diaper rash ointment all over there. And so it's like whitening up. And then they had a beat where Don does nothing but lather his face with like this white cream. And I was like, yeah. well, that, yeah. that too, you know, that, that's telling me something, but it's not smart enough to figure out what the connection is yet. And they did one more that was, you know, Pete slammed into that column in his office. And then a little bit later, the plumber that was visiting Joan, as he was exiting, he kind of stumbled out of the way. And again, it's like, that yeah. doesn't just happen for no reasons, but I couldn't quite yeah. get what that was trying to say. Yeah. I think I will just take issue with one thing you said there, Brian, I think i could be wrong i'll have to go back and look at the tape again i think the baby's behind jones baby's behind comes right after a scene with roger in it mm-hmm. and i and i thought they're saying well this is roger's baby or and or they're saying roger is a big baby <laughs> and joan is taking care you know takes mm-hmm. care of him the way she mm-hmm. takes care of her own son i think mm-hmm. that's what happened there but but then the yeah the thing about don with the shaving thing, the only thing I could think of was that the gift that his kids got him of the mm-hmm. shaving accoutrement there. Yeah, the shaving the, brush. The shaving yeah. brush. 
maybe I'm th- you know I'm thinking well he's showing that he he's thinking of his kids while he's shaving and clearly he's he loves his kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's reacting to his own childhood, which was awful. He always tries to be there for his kids, although he has trouble. He has trouble showing emotion to his children. Clearly, he's a better father than Betty is a mother. For me, it was just that you rarely see a butt on TV unless it's yeah. NYPD yeah. Blue. And so the right. fact that they had it twice in the episode, yeah. Yeah, uh, for me, seemed like it was relevant. Yeah, well, no, I agree. There's obviously been a lot of buzz, I guess, over the Zuby Zuby Zoo song. Yep. And I think that's already become somewhat iconic in the show. I mean, there's the first season, I remember this one dance that Peggy did, which still, I know there's another friend of mine that watches the show who, to this day, he says that's one of the best moments he's ever seen yeah. <laughs> of the show when, when Peggy kind of saunters over to Pete at uh, one of the happy hours they're having. And that was very memorable. And, this Pete, definitely, said, and Pete says he doesn't like her that way. Yeah, yeah I don't remember? like you that way or something. Yeah, that was a great line. But this this was like I think the the showcase of the the episode. Yeah, and one other thing I will say about um, just visually wrapping things up is that I found that the color in the episode was just more vibrant and just it's just used more than it had been in the past. I don't know if it's just they're trying to say we're moving into the latter part of the '60s now and like things are changing, but it's a stark contrast from like the early seasons where they're all just not that it was black and white or totally monochrome, but you know the suits are all like charcoal Pete's, dark yeah, and, and Pete's yeah. sports jacket that's just At the party yeah man. <laughs> Yeah. And, and it felt like, I don't know Seth's age, I know I'm older than you, Brian, but back in Technicolor, you know, and yeah. you're watching this TV sh- a movie or TV show and the colors are vivid. And I agree, I, I think it looked that way. It looked almost filmed like the, it would do in a 60s movie. And I also think it was fascinating when they released uh, the screeners, you know, they had a different song at the end. Yes, yeah, they well, they messed up on something there, yeah. Right, uh, Matthew Weiner raised his hand and said, yes, I screwed up, and I kind of have taught you guys how to watch this and expect that kind of not to take poetic license, and they changed the right. song because the yeah. original song was like six months after that time frame. Right, right. You know, the, the one more point I want to make about film, the baby's butt again, that having time to hone in on the camera there and then moving it back a very Hitchcockian technique. Hitchcock would mm-hmm. do that all the time. The fact that Weiner does that in a television show where the clock is ticking says something about him and how he cares for shows. And maybe also it says something about the fact that AMC likes to have its shows seem like they're movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, is the civil rights bookends that we talked about at the very beginning, is that going to extend, do you think, further? Is there going to be a character that's going to be introduced you know, at first, when the episode starts, you're going, who are these people? Right. Um, wait a minute. And then when you figure out what's going on and the joke backfires on them, it is a sign of the times that we're only hiring secretaries. So you gentlemen are, are free to go. Wait a minute. I mean, are, are, are allowed to go, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I would think that in the middle of the 60s, at this time period, that this would be a storyline that they would explore yeah i agree i can't see that it's going to drop yeah it's got to be in there and uh, interestingly that whole incident with young and rubicam and and the and the water balloons and the water bombs that was actually taken from the pages of the new york times that really happened wow including the dialogue the savages they call us savages that's right out of the new york times Hmm. 
Wider, of course, again, did his homework <laughs> and uh, is accurate. I think that pretty much covers everything we're going to talk about this episode. Do you have any last items you want to just encapsulate your thoughts? Yeah, I would just hope that there is some light at the end of the tunnel because people seem very unhappy in their very, very um, uh, materialistic lives. They seem very <laughs> unhappy on the show. I'd like to see some happiness. Yeah, I'm going to tag on to that. Linda, my wife, is going, I don't know if I'm going to watch this because I just don't know if I like anyone on this show. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I do. I like Megan and I like Don and I, you know, I'm pulling for them. I do think we're talking about them trying to be happy and this more, more, more to tie it up. Brian and I, before we were discussing, I'm going to see Springsteen in April. And, uh, you know, as he says, poor men want to be rich. Rich men want to be king. King ain't satisfied till he rules everything. They just all seem to be wanting more and more and more. And it's not making them happy. My thought would be that I know online there was a group of some fans who felt that this episode really, aside from the Megan and Joan Baby updates of what those statuses are, didn't really move much in any direction, and they're hoping to see what kind of direction things were going. But I have complete faith that this, like The Sopranos, this is not a show that needs to leave the starting gate at a full you know, yeah, zero to 60. Yeah. It, yeah. it builds momentum. This happens all the time. There's yeah. things that are layered in here that will come back. It's very gradual, and it's a that's what makes it rewarding. Uh, right. It's a nice, long, savored dish. Yeah, absolutely. This is not that kind of show. This is not a show like Vampire Diaries or something that chews up story. This is a character study that, and I think you said it best, a leisurely dish that right. you enjoy. Right. Plus, you also have to remember he's easing people back into the show after an 18-month hiatus. Yes. And hopefully, and I did this, I showed this to non-Mad Men viewers, and they all to a person said, oh, yeah, I can get into this. I followed it. I was able to follow the show. Of course, there were a lot of things that they didn't catch, but they were basically able to follow it. Contrast that with what's going to happen this Sunday when people try to come into the middle of Game of Thrones. I mean, even people who watched the first season, as I did, are completely lost. I still enjoy it, but I'm completely lost because I I didn't read the books. So he's he's easing people in, and he's hoping perhaps to get new viewers who haven't seen the show. And I think for that, he succeeded. I know. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will resume this discussion of Mad Men. Thank you for listening. The bar's open. All right. right. Bye-bye. Enjoy Game of Thrones. Yes. Thanks, guys. One, two, three, four, five.